I'm Robbie McDonald. And I'm Jordan Lee. We're two writers who've been friends for 15 years. Recently, we both discovered we have the shared experience of figuring out we have ADHD in midlife. Holy Shit, I Have ADHD is a platform for adults discovering their neurodivergence, as well as a way to spread awareness of ADHD. This is a podcast about ADHD, hosted by two people with ADHD. While each episode has a general theme, our meandering trains of thought mean we often cover several other themes in the process. We are not experts, simply two people sharing their experiences of discovering their ADHD in midlife. If you suspect you or someone you know may have ADHD, speaking to a medical professional should be part of your discovery journey. Welcome to Holy Shit, I Have ADHD, a podcast about learning you are neurodivergent in adulthood. My name is Jordan Lane. And I'm Robbie McDonald. And joining us today all the way from London, UK, is David Levy of N20 Counseling. Welcome back, David. Thanks for having me again. So yeah, you were about last with, uh, I was going to say us, but it was actually just me. Robbie couldn't make that one uh, last July. So it's been almost a year now. Um, and yeah, and so we, uh, I'd love to, uh, you know, catch up a little bit, see what's new with you. And then we're going to talk about this, um, this BBC Panorama documentary and all of the kind of accompanying uh, blowback or fallout or controversy around it. Yeah. Um, it, the life of a therapist is fairly repetitive different <laughs> from people every, every session, but you know, uh, it's just, it's the same old stuff. Someone asked me recently what what my kind of day to day stuff is, and you know, well, you know, the morning tends to be trauma and parents, and then uh, afternoons isn't your divergence, usual stuff. Wow. Uh, yeah, and I know we're going to talk about it a little bit later. Uh, since I saw you last, I launched a magazine. Um, I, I have a, an ADHD specialist website that's been going and doing okay. Excellent. What's the uh, what's the specialist website? So I have ADHDcounseling.uk. Mm-hmm. Um, it's supposed to be sort of a one-stop resource for people. Uh, uh, there are things you can download on there. There's like guides to how you get diagnosed on there. And we have ADHD specialist counselors listed on there who I personally vet. So Excellent. the way that they they join the, the, the site is there's a form that they have to complete. The one part which isn't then on the site, but the part that I ask them to do for me, is to write a short statement about what they know about ADHD, why it's their specialization and so on. Um, and if after reading that, I think, actually, I'm not sure sort of their specialists at all, I just won't put them on there. Right. Mm-hmm. So uh, you're, you're definitely vetting the kind of resources that you're sharing out there to the community. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. I mean, I know from my own experience, when I was diagnosed, one of the first things that I did was I went to look for support mm-hmm. and I met I think initially three or four different therapists, um, three of them considered ADHD essentially to be an anxiety disorder. And one said, I think I clicked the wrong box. Okay. Wow. So, you know, uh, that was kind of what inspired me to start the site in the first place. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's not great. And, you know, I I think there'll be a lot of people out there that have sort of gone looking for support for ADHD or yes. so on and come up with similar kind of stories similar kind of things and certainly i hear a lot about people who come they get in touch with me because they already have a therapist while they're being diagnosed mm. and then you know the therapist is quite dismissive about adhd or about its impact or about the diagnosis um mm. yeah i mean it's yeah yeah, I can definitely raise my hand to that because when I was first uh, in the sort of discovery process, I was kind of astonished, like how many places online were really just like wanting money for very for very little support or just like completely dismissive of it. And yeah, calling it something else rather than ADHD, anxiety being the number one thing for me as well. Yeah, it's really frustrating. Yeah, I think one of the things that I've really noticed as well, you know, I try and keep on top of this stuff because of the site that I have. And I guess it's just my own area of interest. It's the number of people who offer services like ADHD coaching, but really they're just offering tools. And I, and also, you know, I'm training, I do training sessions with other therapists and I'm training them in how to work with ADHD and things like that. And I keep coming across people on social media who, you know, do these very kind of affirming things with ADHD, really validating you know, sort of scroll through, I don't know, six or seven pictures that are filled with just sort of good sayings or something like that. And then at the end it's, oh, and uh, my tool book will be the thing that you really need. Um, you know, the link's in my bio. And, you know, unfortunately, you've got people who have really kind of cute needs. You've got people who are looking for support and coming up against the barriers that we're, we're talking about. 
You have people that are stuck on long waiting lists. They're desperate. And, you know, if someone says, here, buy this book for £10, it'll help you out. Like, you know, it's £10. It's, it's not going to sort of break the bank for them. But really, what they seem to fail to understand, a lot of these coaches and, and so on, is that ADHD isn't just about the tools. Like, you, we know how to Google, right? We know that to-do lists exist. We know that certain things are good for your mental health and certain things are not. We know that diet and exercise works really well. What ADHD people need, I think, in the experience I've had is someone to handhold them through that process, to help them through the failures of going through a process of learning a new habit before they internalize that failure and just sort of get to the pile of all the other failures that have come before them. And that's really where the majority of my work lies, is being patient. And having someone there who isn't going to punish that lack of, you know, that sort of lack of patience or whatever. And certainly you see it from people themselves that they are very punishing of themselves because they've mm. had so many of those experiences before. So if I gave them a book when they came to see me that, you know, was the big book of ADHD stuff and sent them away, that, you know, that would last about 30 seconds. It probably wouldn't even make it till the journey home. Yeah, that, that definitely speaks to my own experiences because, um, you know, uh, I, I am I am able uh, to lead myself as the proverbial horse to water. Uh, but, yeah, it is it is very difficult to drink sometimes, no matter how much you want to. You know, it's like, you know, you know, all the steps that you need to do whatever it is that your your lofty goal is and you can see how you get there. But sometimes, yeah, like you just need somebody to, to, to prod you and say, like, this isn't going to do itself. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, you know, I think a lot of the listeners maybe here will be having that same issue, mm -hmm. you know, where they'll be struggling to self-start. So perhaps I can give them the same message that I tell a lot of these therapists, which is you've got to allow yourself to fail and you've got to think about it as building a habit. It's mm -hmm. not a, a commentary on your personal abilities. It's difficult to learn new stuff. If it wasn't some ADHD-related task, if we were talking about learning Japanese, nobody would expect you to be fluent on day one. And it's exactly the same. Mm -hmm. I'm just resonating so hard with that right now because I have literally in the day before deadline on a project that I pitched to do that I didn't have the technical skills to do. And 48 hours beforehand and trying to teach myself the technical skills to meet this commitment that I made because I already asked for one extension and I can't ask for another one. So it's like, oh, my God, now I've got to learn this whole new audio skill in like a day. Yeah, no problem. And I probably will this afternoon. I'll do it all this <laughs> afternoon and then I'll lie like a starfish on the couch for 48 hours after that. Pretty much. <laughs> I think uh, another thing that kind of goes along with what you're talking about there, David, is is our habit of uh, uh, when we do do something, uh, not giving ourselves any credit for it. Um, and that's hmm. something I've been working through a lot in counseling lately is, you know, uh, I, I feel like um, like like things aren't going anywhere or like I'm spinning my wheels in, in all these different areas of my life. But then that's only because I'm just either not looking on a big enough timeline or focusing so much on the negative that I, I just literally my brain refuses to give me credit for like, you know, things I should pat myself on the back for. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think maybe that speaks Jordan, I, I you know, I don't want to speak for you, but <laughs> a sort of a life experience where you've had those kind of difficulties. So it's just another one. It's just sort of a repeat of a feeling that you know all too well and would prefer not to. Mm -hmm. And you're right. I mean, I'm always saying to people that I work with, you know, you've got to zoom out a little bit. You've got to see it in its proper perspective. You know, it's but the things that you're experiencing, they're not ADHD exclusive. Everybody struggles with the adoption of new habits. The difference perhaps for somebody like ADHD, who has a condition like ADHD, is you've got another sort of ingredient in the mix there and if you're hard on yourself if you take it out on yourself if you sort of repeat the old patterns that you've always repeated you're not going to make it any easier for yourself and that's really what you want right you want to try and make it as doable as possible and that kind of criticism really achieves that 
Mm-hmm. Oh, I really appreciate you calling it a, an additional ingredient. I think that's a really good term. And because sometimes when people say, well, everyone's a little ADHD or everybody struggles with procrastination, I often don't know what to say in response to that. And I usually get kind of upset and agitated because I'm like, you don't understand the magnitude of this, right? But if you call it an ingredient that just kind of creates an additional barrier, then that I think that's really quite helpful. I love that language. Thanks for that, David. And the problem, I do have a stock response to that. I'd love to hear it. Well, you know, I say we all struggle to hear from time to time. It doesn't make us all deaf. And it's it's exactly the same thing. You know, the fact that we all share difficulties with concentration or sitting still or finishing projects you know we're talking about a human condition here we're talking about something which probably is universally experienced but the fact that it's chronic the fact that it's not due to outside conditions like stress is what makes somebody adhd versus having a bad day yeah that's really interesting um we were i was talking about that a little bit on the the last episode we did uh, about um, yeah, uh, under times of, of great stress, getting uh, your symptoms just amplifying and exacerbating all that stuff. Um, but yeah, let's uh, let's kind of get into the meat of things now, I feel like. Um, so recently, the, the BBC Panorama made a documentary. Uh, a reporter named Rory Carson went and got himself tested. Uh, there was a, a piece called, I don't have ADHD, but three private clinics say I do. And another one called ADHD, Private Clinics Exposed by BBC Undercover Investigation. Uh, so this guy's methods and the results were a little bit controversial. David, do you want to talk about that? Uh, sure. Um- would you like me just to give you a rundown or give the listeners yeah, a rundown of the program? Sure. <laughs> so we have a, a BBC investigator uh, who wanted to expose, I suppose, in theory, ADHD private clinics. Um, I think at its heart, there was probably some some valid reasons for that investigation. There certainly are a lot of ADHD clinics that seem to be popping up, and a lot of them have some questionable practices, for sure. Um, in the program, the BBC um, presenter seems to suggest, or, or sort of the way that it's laid out, is that there's a very slapdash approach by private ADHD clinics, whereas the NHS um, assessment for ADHD was incredibly thorough. And they have a few sort of talking heads from former employees of a lot of these uh, ADHD clinics who were very, very concerned. Uh, about sort of the rate of diagnosis and things like that. Um, I think that's basically it in a nutshell, unless I'm forgetting anything about it. Um, there is definitely a, a sort of an irony in all of this, which is that we're talking about something very, very complicated. This person is trying to draw uh, a clear differential between an NHS um, diagnosis and private diagnosis in a program that's 29 minutes. and yeah, it's sort of the conclusion that seems to come from it is that the private uh, clinics diagnose him ADHD, give him medication for life, and the NHS uh, sort of assessment is very, very thorough and says, oh, no, no, you don't have it. It's about as far from reality as you could ever possibly imagine. Um, it, after he talked about the NHS um, assessment being in the region. Did he say two and a half hours or three and a half hours? I can't quite remember. So do either um, I don't remember either, no. It's one of those two, but either way, it's completely absurd. Um, I've come across probably in the hundreds of people that have been diagnosed through the, the NHS. Um, I've never heard of a, an assessment taking longer than an hour and a half, let alone three hours. Um, undoubtedly, the program highlighted some real concerns. But the the broader message of the program really reinforced an awful lot of negative stereotypes about ADHD, ADHD diagnosis. And I think because of the nature of people that have ADHD, the the sort of the what they took away from it is something that has really kind of exacerbated their own fears and caused an awful lot of pushback and panic and you know, questions like, is my diagnosis going to be taken away? Uh, you know, my friend now at work is saying, well, yeah, but it's a load of rubbish, isn't it? You know, all those kinds of things. Um, it, it certainly caused a lot of 
or online. And, and obviously here we are talking about it later. Yeah, um, there's there's of course a lot of uh, uh, a lot of op eds and and things that kind of came out of that. One that I was I was surprised and, and kind of interested was uh, uh, seeing. Or actually, we should talk about this this Peter Hitchens thing first. Um, so basically, as you said, the kind of the framing of this BBC Panorama piece unfortunately does open the door to people who are just asking questions. And of course, we all know what just asking questions means. It means uh, you know you're 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 trying to uh, deny something. Um, uh, but without actually doing it directly. Uh, and so, yeah, so uh, that framing does open the door to op-eds like the one that Peter Hitchens wrote in the Daily Mail. Does ADHD even exist? Um, and so needless to say, there was uh, a lot of very pointed feedback around that one. Uh, but yeah, I'd love, I'd love your, your thoughts on that one, David. I find Peter Hitchens generally to be somebody who's quite difficult to take seriously also. Um, he, his most recent... Um, column for the Daily Mail, I think, was about rape cases without juries and how close we are to sort of Bolshevik thoughts and things like that. Mm -hmm. So he's a very difficult person to take seriously. I think there's been a few of these kind of articles. There was another one, I think, earlier this year in the in the Times. Uh, it was sort of two in a couple of weeks, actually, in the Times. They're written because ADHD gets an awful lot of clicks. And they're written to annoy people. They're written to generate responses. I don't think Peter Hitchens really gave two hoops. I mean, it's probably not even his article. It's probably just written by somebody who says, <laughs> oh, yeah, we'll, we'll stick your name on it and we'll put that piece of the title in capital. So it really shows just how angry we are about it. Um, when I, I mean, I, to be honest with you, I read half of the article maybe and then I tune out, not because of the condition, just because find them so absurd and i certainly would encourage anybody that reads them don't take them seriously don't respond to them don't retweet the links don't just don't and you know the less said about the daily mail generally the better i think uh, every now and then i'll try to i mean because i haven't been using twitter for a while now but anything that's linked to the daily mail i i sometimes i'll go and then i'll be like ah like it's just like for a person with adhd the worst website in the world because there's so many little moving bits and it's all these weird like paparazzi photos of reality show stars from the uk and i have no freaking idea who any of them are and like the content half the time you got to sign up for something and i think once i clicked a link and then I was immediately subscribed and I was like, this is horrible. <laughs> um, so I haven't even gone to that. I saw the headline and I was like, yeah, dude, this is clickbait. Like this is like the ultimate clickbait. Um, you saw that people were talking about this. His, his, you know, his editor probably said, Hey buddy, why don't you throw together a few words about that? See how many people you can piss off and we'll get some comment section fire going, you know, like that's really, that's what that seems like to me, you know? I read somewhere recently that the Daily Mail has something like 500 million hits a month on the website. Oh you know, they are a, a click generating machine. It's not just ADHD that they write these kind of yeah. articles about, you know, it's just they're the ones that come across our reading because they're about ADHD and we're keeping on top of ADHD news. I mean, whatever your sort of corner of the internet is, there are going to be articles by Peter Hitchens and whoever else along similar lines right yeah there was actually a book written a couple of years ago do you remember it adhd does not exist yes right and it was like oh you the comment section because i just went to look at a curiosity the comments on amazon were just like rage and i was like oh this person might not be selling books but they're going up the algorithm because all the people mm. were and then it Absolutely. turned out that the content of the book was not even that like they just chose that title to get the clicks going right the outrage yeah. machine yeah. I read the book, mm. and very little of it was about ADHD not existing. <laughs> very little. It was like there's, um, I don't know if you've seen, there's a scene in The Simpsons where I can't remember, one of the family are, are sort of speed publishing their own biography and like half of it's about someone else completely or something. It's a bit <laughs> like that. It, it really was. I mean, it was, a it was about history. There was about, I don't know, 10 pages of some maybe this and maybe that, and then a whole bunch of other ones. One one 
response to that that Peter Hitchens column that uh, I was delighted to see actually was uh, I did not know that Adrian Childs uh, is an ADHD guy. He came out with an op-ed, no ADHD is not a con. If that's the message you received from Panorama's expose, you weren't paying attention. Um, so Robbie, I'm curious, do you know who Adrian Childs is? No, I don't, but I have seen his, his face before and I did read that article again and I was like, yeah, 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 reading the whole thing. Okay, so who is he though? Because the context. Well, your your framing is actually perfect because uh, you saying I've seen his face before is exactly it. Because at least on on our side of the pond, he's most well known for basically being like a Twitter image. Because people just usually kind of crop his portrait and then whatever silly headline he's got beside it. Because he's well known for these really great co uh, columns like um, uh, uh, Croatia has enchanting words for genitalia. Why doesn't the UK? <laughs> and it was it was just. Funny funny because when, do. It, <laughs> it was, when I read that column, I was like, oh, all of these headlines and all of these like weird thoughts he has that he decides to do 500 words about suddenly make a lot more sense to me. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, he just looked like somebody I would enjoy having a conversation with. Like his face just is very open and inviting to me. And he looks like he would have like an array of weird, bizarre jokes that would. Yeah, he looks like, like if Jeremy Clarkson wasn't evil. <laughs> David, um, what did you what did you think of uh, Mr. Childs's column? Yeah, good. I mean, I, I think as a response piece, it, it's very good. It's very eloquent. He's a very eloquent sort of genteel guy. You know, he's mostly on daytime TV. Does a bit of sports reporting for the BBC. You know, he's sort of classic British television presenter. Um, I I do think we have to be slightly careful. It, on sort of our side of the fence of swimming too deep in confirmation bias mm -hmm. you know, we we have yeah. our own we have our own kind of yes of course it exists and here's why and here's our clever article and then you know peter mm -hmm. hitchens has his next piece that comes out before you know it there's just a big line between either it does exist or it doesn't you know i i think my uh, what i hope comes from those kind of articles is an engagement with with both sides you know i think the the articles are great but they tend to be either read by the likes of us that are going to read it and go yeah you, you tell um, <laughs> or the people that will read it and just caught something at the end and say this is uh, i was nearly going to swear there but i don't want you to get an explicit warning um, although you've got names of yeah the it's, it's right there in the title oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah right in know, the title yeah they'll just comment you know like this is bullshit you know, ADHD is a load of crap or whatever. And so, you know, I think that the more that you know, pro-ADHD people can respond um, thoughtfully to the Peter Hitchens pieces and the more that we can encourage people that don't know quite so much to, to sort of hear from people that, that do, uh, are the better. But as I say, I, I would just... I do worry about sort of how how quickly we'll get lost in an echo chamber of all of this if it's just mm. sort of a, a tennis rally, a back and forth of positive and negative articles that get shared on the internet. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's so important to point out because one of the things that I'm doing right now is I've been doing some consulting around accessibility here in Canada and advocating really passionately for more um, inclusion for people with neurodevelopmental differences like myself. And I've also got sensory disabilities. And um, I'm always saying to people, like, if you think about this more as like an innovation, you know, like ADHD is like, just like a, can be an absolute firestorm of creativity and thinking outside the box. And it could be a real asset to any organization, right? So trying to bridge those gaps, right? And have those conversations. Um, but I do know that sometimes I get in that sort of outrage spiral where I'm like, could we just stop with the stigmatizing already? Um, but I think you just raised such an excellent point that it really needs to be a conversation and a kind of an invitation into what the, not upsides, and I, I don't like the word superpower, I'll never use that, but just like, mm -hmm. but that if you actually have a conversation with somebody who's dealing with this, then you'll probably find more commonalities than differences if you can relax enough into it, right? Yeah. Well, I, I think, you know, you, you said before, you like the idea of it being sort of an ingredient. And I think that the more that we kind of double down on the specialness of it all, the more it becomes our primary identifier. Mm 
-hmm. Whereas if it's just part of our personhood, in the same way that any of other protected characteristic might be, you know, you're Robbie, you've got all of these skills, but you've also got ADHD mm-hmm. that encourages a more integrated discussion, as opposed to someone who's out there waving the ADHD flag on ADHD Pride Day. You're only <laughs> ever going to be identified as ADHD. Right. Yeah. You're only going to sort of reinforce stereotypes that people might have. Oh, that's so that's so golden, David, because I do struggle with that. I'm like, it is part of me, but I don't want to lead with it all the time. But sometimes I do, but I'm like in a bit of a tizzy. So that's really good. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely something that we've talked about on the show before about like, you know, uh, it's 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 really easy to just like take one thing and make it your whole identity. Like for some people, it's like scotch whiskey or like growing a beard. And, uh, you know, for some people, it's uh, it's kind of whatever whatever's going on in their brain. And um, yeah, you know, like uh, I, I was actually went I listened to some old episodes recently because I had to do some edits. And um, yeah, I, I think that we were a lot more uh, prone to that stuff earlier on in the show's uh, life about sort of um, uh, uh, identifying or, or kind of attributing everything back because, you know, like when you're that fresh, everything is just like your, your mind has been blown so wide open that it's hard not to, uh, then go around with almost a sense of like magical thinking and interpret everything around you as like this all is, is because of ADHD. (laughs) Yeah. I I mean, this is really central part of the work that I do when people are sort of going through this process. They're going through a process of trying to work out this, this new thing, which feels incredibly momentous. And it is very tempting and it is often all too easy for people to go, Oh, well, you know, this has happened in my life and I've experienced this and this and this again, ADHD, everything becomes ADHD. It's like being an ex smoker Mm -hmm. and, you know, suddenly you can smell cigarette smoke everywhere. When you know what ADHD is and you get diagnosed with it or something like that, suddenly everywhere you go, oh, they've got ADHD and that's clearly ADHD and so is that. And I think it takes some time to take it from this place of this new thing and then to integrate it into yourself so it doesn't become the thing that defines you. Because I don't think that ADHD defines any of us, any of the people that I have met in this work who talk about ADHD, it's not the main thing. It's not the only thing. It's just the thing that feels most unknown or the most pressing or the the thing that they don't quite know about themselves, except that they know it exists. Yeah, it's almost like uh, uh, in 2001 when there's the monkeys and the monolith and you've, you've just sort of discovered this monolith inside you and you don't know what it means, but you're very, very curious and it's hard to turn your attention away from it. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I, uh, sorry, go ahead, Robbie. No, just I'm very much identifying with that as well, like especially in the beginning of everything being ADHD and, and much to the chagrin of my partner after about six months, he was like, you know, not everything is ADHD. Right. And I was like, <laughs> Oh yeah. Okay. That's fair. Right. But I, I still do um, sometimes like, I think maybe the point that I was going to make about that is that when you're in a situation where there's a lot of barriers, then it becomes like really almost like inflamed for me. And then I, then I get more focused on it, but just like in day to day life, I know that most folks aren't trying to slap up a barrier to participation, um, but, you know, things like crosstalk and meetings and stuff like that, I go on about that all the time because it's just like unmanageable for me. But yeah, I think that's such a good point that it's just like a single like or ingredient of a, of a very complex casserole, right? There's so many other things going on in our lives. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, think these opinion pieces um, you know, especially the, the, the hit pieces, they try and reduce ADHD down to a stereotype in the same, you know, in the same way that they've done before with sexuality or gender identification or any, you know, or any of these other things, what they do is they play very heavily on, on those stereotypes. You know, they play on ADHD being shorthand for whiny adults looking for excuses they don't you know like the bbc piece there is no consideration because it doesn't fit the narrative that they need it to fit 
that it's an incredibly complicated process. It's an incredibly emotional process. It is a process which redefines your identity in a way which might take you the same amount of time on the other end of the equation to to kind of understand in yourself. Hmm. Or maybe you never do. I don't know. Maybe it's a constantly moving thing. I, I don't know. I, you know. I'm still learning myself in a lot of ways. Yeah. Sure. And, and I think I don't want the last thing I would ever want to do is to reduce anybody's experience. And some people have been through some horrific mm. things. But I do think that these articles just show that it's neurodiversity's turn mm. to be on the shit list. It's to be on the and, shit list. Like when you <laughs> when you stick your neck out, right? Like that's yeah. when they're going to come for you. Um, yeah. And I do want to kind of add to something that you were saying there that something that was missing, at least in the written piece that I read of his, that he didn't even come close to addressing the socioeconomic conditions of a lot of folks that are dealing with this. And that it's, and there's, there's so many reasons that people have different experiences of ADHD and a lot of that has to do with resource. Right. So, um, I just think that, yeah, like that sort of like, oh, it's, it's, you know, just a bunch of people out there grabbing money and they're doing a shoddy job. And this is something Jordan and I kind of talked about at the beginning that the reporter really alienated me when he specifically went after the woman who was doing a diagnosis and he went after her appearance, her demeanor and what she was wearing. He did not go after that with any of the men that he talked about. And I thought, wow, dude, like your sexism is really showing and, you know, you're talking about somebody's attire and you're sitting there and you're where's Waldo beanie, like, give me a break, buddy. Like, I was like, so like I was laughing, but then I was like, dude, like you're so like you do not. We don't do that anymore in 2023. You don't comment on what a woman is wearing and then decide she's not professional because of it. That was so outside to me. Um <laughs> But there's my little outrage thing coming up. But I kind of wanted to get that where's Waddle joke in there. So thank you, Jordan, <laughs> for giving me space for that. Because I was like, really, dude, you're talking about how somebody's not professionally presenting themselves? Come on. Yeah. So to go back, David, to um, uh, the op-eds thing for a sec, uh, you were talking about how, you know, uh, it, it just ends up being one opinion it's it's opinion piece tennis after a while and it's just sort of uh lobs back and forth and that was something that i found very interesting is is yeah just like the the the, the you're right it really is our turn right now and the kind of breadth of coverage um because when i started pulling all these response pieces together uh i was expecting to see uh the same bylines crop up at least a couple times but i've got i think 15 pieces here all by different people um all, all responding to either the bbc piece or the the hitchens editorial um so yeah i, I think there is really like a, a lot of attention on this stuff right now to your point david um and yeah and so I, I would love to know if there were uh any of those response pieces that you found particularly valuable or, or that had points that you raised that you wanted to discuss personally i think people should read the Peter Hitchens piece. I really do. I would encourage you to engage in it because this is the hill you've got to climb, I suppose. Right. Uh, and uh, I honestly, I would say that we all know what the hit pieces are going to say, and we all know what the response pieces are going to say. ADHD exists because we says it exists, and there's enough of us that say it exists, which means that we can confirm its existence through independent sources. So, of course, it exists. My What I would encourage people to do is rather than read a piece or choosing a piece to read that is, I don't know, pro or negative their own opinion, engage those around you in conversation. You know, talk to them about your experience. Let them ask you questions. You know, it, the only way that I think that as a condition that this is going to become something which is understood is through engagement in that way. And we can read stuff until the cows come home, which might just be one of the most British things that has been said on this podcast. I don't know. Um, but yeah, absolutely. I would encourage people to talk about these things, especially with those around them that are skeptics. You know, it, it don't get lost in the offense of it all. You know, we are in a place, as I say, it's, it's our turn. We are where people were 30, 40 years ago when they were saying, well, it's fine what you do at home, but just don't do it around my kids. And if we're staring at a screen 
reading articles. No one's going. No one's minds are going to be developed. No opinions are going to be changed. Yeah, that's that's an excellent point because um, uh, so often these people spend so much time and energy on these arguments, and they're arguing with it's it's the unstoppable force versus the immovable object. Like both parties go in feet firmly planted knowing they're not going to move and so you sh really should like it might feel good to to uh, yell at somebody on twitter or whatever but your energy really is far better spent on the actually influenceable people in your life who are the people around you yeah absolutely absolutely so and, speaking of, oh go ahead robbie well i was just gonna sort of um expand out on on that idea a little bit and I know that our healthcare systems in Canada and the UK have some similarities in that we do have a quote, like a universal healthcare system. And in the UK, you call it the National Health Service. And of course, it's been grossly underfunded and mismanaged um, under the Tory government over the last 12 years. Here in Canada, we've had some of the same issues. Um, and we have, so here in BC, there's a million people waiting for a family doctor, like which is an astronomical number. So our healthcare system is kind of overwhelmed. And then we have these like little pop-up walk-in clinics, but on the very wall of those walk-in clinics. So if I'm somebody with ADHD or I think I might have it and I'm hoping to get some medical support for that, whether that's um, a medication in most cases, that's the first line treatment. There's signs on the walk-in clinic doors that say we do not prescribe stimulant medication. So I don't know how deep that goes in the UK. I've heard that the waiting lists to get an assessment are up to seven years. So that's what the big issue is, right? Is that people are desperate. And so somebody comes along and says, well, if you just give me, you know, 1500 pounds, which is $3,000 in Canada, it's a lot of money. That's going to put somebody grossly in debt just so they can get some help. But um, what are your thoughts on all this? Because I yeah, I've got a lot of, got a lot of thoughts on it. I, it just seems so unjust to me. I, 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 everything you've said is, is pretty much how it is here. Um, as you rightly say, I think the, the waiting list in some parts of the country is, is up to seven years, um, which is a year short of the time it would take to train to assess someone else um, and qualify as a psychiatrist. Um, which which seems insane. You just um, go become that's, that's a doctor. My stat. <laughs> that's my favorite stat. Holy shit! When um, you put it like that, that's uh, incredible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And of course, where there's need, there's going to be opportunity, and you're going to find that there are going to be rogue pop ups that are going to do a lot of bad stuff that are going to get reinforced stereotypes when they're exposed. Um, there there are two things at play here. I think the first is that a lot of people's experiences with their GP is really poor. GPs clearly are as prone as anybody else to their own stereotypes. I hear an awful lot of people being sort of turned down for, for treatment or referrals. Um, you know, people that are experiencing GPs who are very dismissive, you know, who get responses. I mean, but I've heard more than once from people that I've seen, and I'm sure they won't mind me saying it here with no names, you know, oh, but you're okay, aren't you? And and so on. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the the private industry with the with the assessments, generally speaking, I mean, it's, it's very very expensive. It, it's in line with uh, private treatment with psychiatrists for other kind of conditions too. And if you need to be diagnosed, or if you're looking to be diagnosed with ASD, for example, you're in for the same kind of experience. Um, with the NHS, what we have is a chronic lack of training and availability. You know, relative to when most GPs are qualified, neurodiversity probably wasn't going to have been part of their training. You know, when they were learning to be doctors, I mean, the likelihood is, I mean, ADHD is, as we know it now, exists in, in the form as we know it, what, the 90s? You know, so... We're, we're sort of relying on that being part of GP's training immediately, which is never going to be the case. So if your GP is qualified I mean, 30 years ago, he is going to have, or she is going to have, those similar stereotypes of a kid running around the living room like a lunatic or it being a child-only conditional or whatever. Um, and then 
even if you get lucky and someone says, yeah, okay, we'll, we'll send you off for an assessment or we'll refer you onwards, there just aren't people qualified to assess. Um, you know, and the, the people that you saw are being snapped up. The psychiatrists and the, the, all these people who are qualified to diagnose but not provide medication are being offered opportunities to work at vastly higher wages for private providers. So the NHS situation is unlikely to get any better anytime soon. I have also heard that a lot of medical insurance companies here in the UK and medical insurance, I mean, I don't know what it's like in Canada, but there's nothing like the, the sort of uptake of private medical insurance here in the UK as compared to a lot of other places. A lot of those insurers won't refer you for ADHD assessment because they consider it a behavioral condition, which seems insane to say out loud in 2023, but I've heard it more than once. So they're all stuck in, in a rock and a hard place, but I've got one that's even worse for you, I'm afraid to tell you, which is that the experience that I've heard an awful lot, which is that people go and they get privately assessed through even a company like ADHD 360, who are NHS provider, you know, they're, they're the kind of people you would go and see if you were referred by your GP. They take that private diagnosis and they go back to their GP and they ask for something called a shared care agreement, which essentially means that your GP takes over the dispensing of your medication. Um, although I don't like calling it medication, we can get into that in a bit. Um, and that would provide your medication at the NHS rate, which I think is about £9.60 or something. Um, and for any changes in your medication and so on, your psychiatrist would be responsible for that. But GPs then turning that down and saying, no, no, you know, you have to have an NHS assessment. And it leaves people often in a situation where they know what they've got. They've got this diagnosis, it's this big moment in their life, and then they're faced with the possibility of potentially I don't know, £100 a month or something like that on medication until such a time as the NHS assessment rolls around. And they could have just done that in the first place anyway. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> we, we, we've definitely heard um, stories along those lines from other guests we've talked to in the UK. Uh, and yeah, you know, it, it almost reminds me of the situation where uh, uh, in the U.S. Uh, healthcare system, insurance companies seem to be where the buck stops and your doctor can say uh, you have this disease and the x-rays can come back and show whatever this thing is. And the insurance company can say, uh, you know what, uh, as an insurance guy, I actually don't think you have it. And then you just kind of, well, <laughs> hopefully my doctor can push back on these guys a little bit more. But yeah, that, uh, that that's wild. Before we get into the frame, uh, you mentioned there that you don't like calling it medication. Um, so I'm curious yeah. to hear about that. You wear glasses. Sure. Do you call those medication? <laughs> no, I guess I'd think of it more as a tool. Okay. That's why. I don't think of ADHD. It's, ADHD isn't a headache. Mm. It's not a virus. You're not infected with it. <laughs> You're not looking to be medicated by it. You're just looking to find something that cor corrects something that your body didn't do for itself. And that's where the stimulant medication or non-stimulant medication comes into play. Now, they call it medication because it comes in a pill form and it comes in a nice box but I don't like calling it medication. I will always draw the equivalency to a pair of glasses or hearing aid. I take my pill every day because my body can't do something. When I take that pill, it can. I'm not ill, but I'm not looking to be medicated from my illness. Mm, I love that so much, David, um, because, that, because that, you know, they had those um, super uh, biased documentaries like a couple of years ago on Netflix called Take Your Pills. And it was this whole thing about like, oh my God, all these ADHD medications, the kids are snorting, they're riddling on the college campuses. And oh my God, the moral panic around it was just ridiculous, right? And but when you when you put it in those terms, right? It's like, yes, I need glasses now to read what's on the screen. I actually wear hearing aids and I have for a number of years because I'm mostly deaf. But nobody says to me, oh, well, you're just an addict. Like you just, you just need this. You're just trying to get high. <laughs> like if, if you knew what my hearing aids did in my ears, like they squawk sometimes it's so irritating, right? Like I'm not trying to get stoned. 
so ridiculous. Yeah, I, I think that's that's a re- absolutely wonderful framing, David, to think of it like a like, like an accessibility device, I guess, kind of uh, more than anything. Yeah, that's that's wonderful. Speaking of kind of influencing people that you can influence, uh, I think that's a good way to uh, talk about the frame a little bit. Oh. Um, so yeah, David, why don't you why don't you explain the frame and and tell us about your upcoming issue? Okay, so um, the frame is a bit of a brain fart that I had one day. Um, I guess a bit like a lot of people with this condition, um, I I have a lot of half-baked ideas that lived in notebooks and whatever for a long time. And I remember, so, I mean, I'm really old, Jordan, so I went <laughs> to, to a gig in like the 90s in Camden Town, um, and I think I saw, no, it's gone. But anyway, I remember as I was heading out, you know, when you sometimes come out of these gigs and you have people selling like knockoff t-shirts and all that kind of stuff on the pavement outside and there was this one guy selling like these fan-made magazines Um, and i asked him what it was and he said it was a fanzine and it's written by people and basically he had used his company photocopier to put it together and just not told them and they're like hundreds of pieces of paper before we knew the environment was a problem obviously and so i bought it and i remember reading it on, on the bus home, absolutely transfixed by this hobbled together thing that taught me more about music in like the 20 pages or so and more stuff that I could pass off as my own opinion. Um, the reasons why Kurt Cobain was this and, you know, why Alice in Chains <laughs> were actually the best band in the world and all this kind of stuff. And I remember loving it so much. I, I kind of had this thing in the back of my head that, it was something that I'd always wanted to do. And, and what I found was working full-time as a therapist and I was I was running ADHD support groups at the time and I was putting together this other um, website and whatever. I found that I had loads of spare time. So I thought, hey, I know what I'll throw in there. I'll actually make this magazine. And I just I basically found the frame as, as sort of a, I wanted it to be this sort of universal voice of people's mental health experience. It was I wanted it very specifically to be non-professional writers. I wanted very much to leave all the mistakes in. I wanted it to be like a fanzine for people so that they could share their experience and, and in the process of sharing that experience, give validation to others that have their own similar experiences. Um, I decided to try and give it some direction by choosing subjects for each issue. Um, so the first issue, I really, you know, I was just sort of putting together whatever I could, and I was canvassing as, as much as I could to try and get articles and whatnot. Um, the second issue that we had, which was at the tail end of last year, was all about uh, women's experience of mental health and sort of women's unique voices and, and so on and so forth. Uh, and the third one that we just did was all about the long-term effects of COVID-19 and then sort of lockdown and everything else on people's long-term mental health. The next issue, for obvious reasons, the passion project of mine is all about neurodiversity. So, you know, we're sort of asking people to share their experiences in, in whatever form other than video. Um, you know, I don't have a maximum page count. I don't edit it because I'm a busy guy. You know, we, we put it together. I design it. Um, it's just something I like doing. I really enjoy it. It's very time intensive. Um, and I think what we've produced so far, I mean, I don't know if either of you have, have looked at any of the issues, but I have what what we have what we've produced so far suggests that first of all, there's an awful lot of talent out there that doesn't seem to have the platform and maybe the magazine can provide that. But there's also people have got real value to their voice and, and real value to their experience and in having a place and, and being able to, to see their experience given, I don't know, a sort of a, a bit of flair with the design and, and whatever else, and in amongst other voices talking about similar things, seems to have started a bit of, you know, it, it's a slow moving thing and that's just fine by me because, you know, I got to do it one weekend in every three months and by the end of that weekend, like, you know, my brain hurts. Um, uh, yeah, the, this issue about neurodiversity, uh, aside from being one that's sort of a something I'm passionate about, is one which really seems to have struck a chord with a lot of people, and the, the sort of the stuff that we're getting is really, really exciting. 
So um, if people are interested in, in submitting to that or just checking out the frame in general, where can they do that? So we have, well, well done. Uh, we, we have the framefanzine.com, uh, which is the website. Uh, the frame is completely free to read and completely free to download. Um, you can download it from the site. Um, it's just PDF. Um, if you want to just submit something, it's editor at the framefanzine.com and send it over to me and I'll let you know that I've had it. And what's the deadline for the, the neurodiversity issue? So, um, in theory, it's going to come out in July. The exact date in July kind of depends on how much time I've got on my hands. Basically, <laughs> the, the earliest, the sooner I can get it done, by the time I get to sort of July and it comes into focus, the better. It's normally in the middle of the month. And what I normally do is we have up the frame fanzine, which is the Twitter and the, the Instagram. Once I've kind of settled on a, on a deadline, we'll put it on there. You know, and worst case scenario, people sort of submit after the deadline. I'll take a view on it. If I've got time to sort of put that in as well, or if it's a worthwhile piece, then I'll chuck it in as well. Otherwise, I'll just ask to, to you for the next one after that or something. Nice. Um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, I, I don't, I don't know how old you are, but I don't, I don't think we're that far apart because I was also doing the zine thing, uh, mid nineties as a teenager. Uh, and that was, yeah, like, uh, something that again, kind of, kind of blew my mind because this was, it, there was internet, but it wasn't, uh, great. Um, and yeah. And so, you know, I found out from like quarter sized folded paper fanzines about things like Norwegian black metal that I'd never, ever in a million years would have heard of in, in, you know, uh, uh, Alberta, Canada in 1997, things like that. And yeah, it was just like, um, I, I think that to your point about kind of editing with a light touch and, and keeping it original to people's voices. Um, I think that's kind of, uh, I, I feel like this podcast almost has a fanzine approach too, because, uh, you know, we've got a swear right in the title. Uh, we're not <laughs> super polished. Uh, we don't have high, uh, extremely high production values and, uh, uh, uh you know, um, whatever, uh, an amazing social presence, blah, blah, blah. Um, and yeah, but, but I think that obviously there's still an audience for it. People really like, uh, what we're doing, um, either despite, or I would think because of that, because mm -hmm. so much content in the ADHD space is polished material from coaches and it's, it's tips and, and life hacks and all this other kind of stuff. And, uh, I think that, um, yeah, it's, it's important to have, uh, uh, these places where people can kind of talk about it in a way where, you know, it's a little bit more informal. They can let their hair down a little bit. <laughs> totally agree. Yeah. That, was, that was exactly what I came across when I was in my discovery path. I was like, ew, like it's a lot of it just felt kind of gross. You know, I was like, please stop with this, you know? And so, yeah, when Jordan uh, reached out to me to start doing this, I was like, yes, like, you know how they say, like, create what you want to see in the world. Like, this is what a lot of people are hungry for. Like, and I think, David, you raised something really interesting right at the beginning of the conversation when you were talking about how coaches really are just giving you like a planner. Like you download for like 10 bucks or whatever. I, I started doing that before Jordan and I started recording the podcast. And I was realized that there's more value for me sometimes in having these kinds of conversations than in spending mm -hmm. money to like a number company somewhere in Florida to um, get a planner that might not even work for me. Right. Yeah. yeah absolutely. I think, you know, these podcasts, people's social media, they are the fanzines of the day, mm -hmm. you know, and you build your following, you know, and so on. I mean, I'm personally always slightly wary of ADHD stuff that looks too polished because mm -hmm. that tells me that it's not really representative of the experience. You know, if I go on, I mean, Forgive me, I won't name them. There's a couple of ADHD charities that I sometimes look at the website of, and you can very clearly tell the ones that have been put together by somebody who has ADHD and somebody that hasn't. <laughs> you know, the one that has is the one with 27 submenus and, you know, stuff that should be together but is actually in two different categories, stuff that shouldn't be there at all but has got this enormously long write-up. Uh, and then, you know, you sort of go on some other websites, you're very slick. It's all very polished and, and so on. You're like, yeah, okay, that, that doesn't really work. And I, I speak to a lot of therapists in the course of doing the training that I do, and I know that there's an awful lot of therapists out there that have ADHD. A, a small fraction of them, which I'm proudly one, actually put it out there that they have ADHD. And, you know, if you go on any of my 
I don't know, so we have a lot of directory sites here in the UK where you can look for therapists and things like that. I mean, it's paragraph one for me. Like, I, you know, I'm diagnosed ADHD. I work with a lot of ADHD people because I don't want to present a veneer of, you know, perfection or, or some sort of polished version of something that doesn't necessarily represent who I am. You know, I want people to know that I've got ADHD so that if they catch me doing something ADHD-ish in a session, which isn't beyond the realms of possibility, I don't want them thinking, oh, he's not listening. You know, I, I wouldn't go, ah, right, yeah, you know, he, he understands. Yeah, to, to your point before about like, you know, you don't want to you don't want to make it your whole identity, but in certain contexts, it is important to lead with that. Like when I'm uh, when I'm teaching classes, I always put that right up front that like I, I guaranteed I will forget your name. And it's not because you're not lovely. It's because I have ADHD and names are very, very tough for me, uh, you know, and so you just just get that stuff out right up front. So, yeah, uh, uh, things like that. Um, I, I think it's important to let people know. Uh, as you say, if, if you're worried about like um, certain behaviors being interpreted in an otherwise uncharitable light. I think along similar lines, actually, Jordan. So a lot of the treatment, for want of a better word, that I come across for ADHD exclusively talks about ADHD. Mm. You know, when you go and see an ADHD coach, you're only ever going to talk about ADHD. And I think one of the things that perhaps was highlighted in the panorama documentary, although in a very candid way, was how important it is to see a whole picture of someone's experience. You know, when I see adults who have been diagnosed with ADHD or think that they've been diagnosed with ADHD, I never once make that the focus of our work. It would be insane. You know, I'm only ever approached a work from an emotional standpoint, from only ever thinking about people's emotional experience to this point but with that adhd part as an ingredient in there you know i'm thinking about i don't know the things that make them anxious or their trauma or the things that have made them sad you know but seeing it through the lens of somebody who has adhd as part of their experience you know is what they're experiencing you know something that would make people anxious as a general rule or is this can I think about it in terms of emotional dysregulation? When I'm talking to them about their school experience, I'm thinking about it as somebody who is sitting in a classroom thinking, why aren't I able to do the things that I think I should be able to do? I would say to anybody who's listening to this, and I would encourage you to share it with everybody that you can, that anybody that wants to reduce you to a single ingredient, such as ADHD, is not somebody worth your time because it's just part of your experience. It's a big thing now because it exists as this huge reframing device. It's something that as an adult suddenly changes your past, your present and your future in one foul swoop. But your experience is much broader than that. And your whole person, it's something that is so important to be taken into consideration. Um, can I just have that tattooed? Like on my body. You have to remember what I said, which, and I'm not sure <laughs> like, I can. We so. have a recording because I know that executive function dysfunction thing. I'll say something really smart, and then I'm like, "What did I just say? I can't say that again exactly the same way." There's no way. <laughs> but that was just so eloquently stated, David, because it's so true, right? Like when you get reduced to down to like one single thing, that it does, it overlooks and and rejects the entire complexity of our human experience. So yeah, bravo for that. That was excellent. Mm hmm. Um, yeah. So we're we're at an hour now. So probably a good spot to wrap up. Uh, but yeah, David, did you have anything else that you wanted to uh, talk to us or the audience about? No, I think I've. Um, hang on, I'll just get down off my soapbox for a moment. Uh, <laughs> no, I think I think that was it. No, I think that's my lot. You let me talk about my magazine, which I appreciate. Um, so I think that I would say to people, you know, a lot of people have avoided watching this documentary, as far as I can tell. Um, and I know this is the reason why we're here as a response to the documentary as much as anything else. And I would just say, watch it. Uh, I would encourage people to watch it. Remember to take it with a pinch of salt. And remember that the, the framing of this documentary is one that is, it's, an, it's a thought, it's an opinion, it's a stereotype, which a lot of people carry. Mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't know who said it, you know, 
it's probably somebody really obvious, but know your enemy and, and you should know what's out there. You should know what people are thinking about this condition so that you have some idea of the prejudice that you're going to face. Yeah. I think I've heard that attributed to Sun Tzu, but uh, it's probably attributed to hundreds of different people. <laughs> I thought it was that, but I was having that ADHD thing of second guessing myself as I was saying it. So <laughs> I decided to move it out. <laughs> Great. Well, um, yeah, uh, of course, all of the all of the articles we've talked about and many more will be in the uh, show notes as well as, of course, uh, both of your websites, David. Uh, so, yeah, if you're if you're interested, check out the fa the frame fanzine. And I just wanted to say one last note on that. I really like the title. Uh, I assume it's about kind of, you know, uh, uh, reframing things and, and taking a different perspective on on your life and your mental health. But maybe you can speak to that. Well, it has a dual meaning. Uh, yes, it, it is all of that. Um, the frame actually is a phrase which first came to me in my training to, to be a therapist. The frame speaks to sort of the, the containers of certain parts of the work, whether it's in the regularity of the time or the boundaries of the session. They're, they're the things that hold clients that you work with, you know, your confidentiality, all those ingredients, they're bundled together and they're called the frame of the work, the container. Um, and I just thought it was a, a, a sort of a useful double meaning there, you know, the frame, the container, the container of the articles is the magazine itself mm -hmm. and, and exactly what you said in a much more eloquent way than I could probably say. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate that. And of course, we both appreciate your time and your expertise. And uh, uh, yeah, enjoy the rest of your, your holiday out there and we'll do the same. And uh, hopefully we'll have you back on before too long. Thank you very much. Both of you. Thank you so much, David. If you enjoyed Holy Shit, I Have ADHD, subscribing to and reviewing it on your podcast platform of choice helps more neurodivergent folks find us, as does following and promoting the show on social media. A full list of platforms is on our Anchor page at anchor.fm forward slash holy shit, I have ADHD. While you're there, why not leave us a voicemail? You can also share your thoughts on this episode or your own ADHD experiences with us at you guessed it, holy shit, I have ADHD at gmail.com or via our social media pages in the episode notes. Bye for now and hyper focus on the positive.